Hello, everyone. Today, I'll be chatting with Dr. Maisha Claiborne. Dr. Maisha is a physician, thought leader, consultant, and neuro-linguistic programming trainer. A TEDx speaker and the founder of Mind Remapping Co., she helps individuals become trauma-responsive by teaching the tools of trauma-informed listening, conscious communication, and emotional intelligence. Focused on equity and inclusiveness in healthcare, education, and corporations, she teaches her audiences that by mastering their emotional fluency and thought habits, they can mitigate harm by being responsible for the impact of their words and behaviors. Dr. Maisha is a graduate of Emory University Morehouse School of Medicine. A 2022 TEDx Asheville speaker, she is also the co-author of Conscious Anti-Racism. In today's episode, we talk about the five elements of emotional fluency and how to help develop this within ourselves and within our children. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Good morning, everybody. Today we have Dr. Maisha Claiborne. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so, so wonderful to be here. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for having me. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about something I feel like every single parent can get something from our conversation today. And we are going to be talking about emotional intelligence, basically what it is, how we can model that for our children, and diving into trauma and how to repair things as the caregivers for our children. There's just so much we're going to talk about today, and we'll kind of bounce around, and I hope you guys enjoy what we have to talk about today. So, Dr. Maisha, if you don't mind starting off with telling us, can you just define what emotional intelligence is and maybe why it's important for our children to develop it? Yeah. So, so emotional intelligence is our ability to, to recognize, to identify, to name, to regulate, and to communicate effectively our emotions with the people in our lives. And so all of those things I just named are all these various elements of emotional intelligence. And to be honest, Lizzie, I, I really prefer a different term that I'm starting to, to coin and lay down because I think intelligence is, it's, it sort of implies that if you don't have all of these components, that there's an unintelligence and that's not the case. I like to talk about it in the context of emotional fluency, because when you're learning language, there are aspects of the language that you might get here and there. You know, you first, you recognize the language, you recognize what the language is and you start to recognize a couple of words, then maybe you can say a couple of words and then you can speak the language eventually when you practice it, you can speak it fluently. And I think that's the same thing that applies with emotional intelligence. There are these different elements of emotional intelligence that if you'd like, I could share. And then when you get all of those elements and you put them together, it creates a fluency as emotional intelligence. (laughs) Yeah. I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into that because I do feel like there's so much underneath that category of, you know, as you coined it, emotional fluency. And I really, during our talk, want to talk a lot about, you, you mentioned regulation and kids, and this is still as a parent of four, right? I am still, and, and people listening, I'm, I'm sure you can relate. 
I am still every day working on my own regulation as well as how to help my kids with their own regulation. And you really, it's hard to help your kids if you can't help yourself, (laughs) right? And just being dysregulated as a child or as a parent can make it very, very difficult for you to help you know, your kid. So I'd love to talk about that specifically as we go here. But if you can kind of dive into the elements of emotional fluency a little bit more, I would love that. Absolutely. I, I want to just kind of, you know, respond and say, you know, I, I love that you said that you're working on your regulation. And the reason is because I think it's important to say right from the beginning that there is no perfect parenting, (laughs) that we are all works in progress. I recently had a conversation with another mom and we we did a LinkedIn Live together and we talked about this. Like there's no perfect parenting. We all are works in progress. And so we have to give ourselves grace. And I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, but I just, I like to lead with that because I don't want, you know, parents like listening and being like, oh my God, I don't have this. Oh my God, I'm not doing this. Oh my God, I'm such a bad parent, which is a tendency, especially in us moms. And so I just want to lead with, we are all working on it. And that is okay. There's, you know, we say it, it's it's progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. Yes. And your kids will learn better from progress and not perfection. Absolutely. In yeah. fact, if they internalize perfection, that's a whole nother podcast. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Oh boy. So diving into these five elements of emotional intelligence or emotional fluency, as I like to call it, the first one is emotional awareness. And that's really just being able to notice that there is something present that we might be later naming as an emotion. I think what sometimes happens is that when, especially in certain people who live in their heads, we get disconnected from the sensations and the, the the what's going on in our bodies and emotions will show up in our bodies early on but we may sort of write them off so it's important as we you know to start to get have an awareness of our bodies and what does a, a certain emotion feel like in our bodies so that emotional awareness is just knowing something's happening even if you can't yet name it and i think that's a thing that's very important because as i'm a as a person who has is very like in my head logical you know there has been a long time in my life that it took me to be able to recognize like, oh, these are emotions that are that, that I'm feeling, these little sensations, they represent something. And to be able to name what they represent at any given time. So that emotional awareness is the first thing. And then the, th- the second is emotional honesty. And that really is just accepting that the emotion is present rather than immediately trying to push it away or deflect it or you know, busy ourselves. And I think that there's in some, in some households, in some cultures, there are conversations around, you know, we don't have time for certain emotions and, and it can really be unhealthy. And and also it can be a compensation uh, mechanism or a survival mechanism, especially if you grew up in a traumatic household where there, the suppressing of emotion helped you to survive the day. And so what happens is when we're able to recognize and then be honest with ourselves first about the emotion, so awareness and then acceptance, 
before we try to take action to to do anything about it, then it gives we we can sit inside of that and start to really even deconstruct like what are the elements of of this emotion that are present so that we can do number 3 which is name the emotion and that's considered emotional literacy right so we name the emotion that's present and oftentimes i use still after many many years of this work and i i pull out for my my classmates not my classmates excuse me my clients my coaching clients my my students that that in my trainings when i teach them about emotional fluency the emotions wheel the wheel of emotions is a valuable tool to have if you have trouble naming emotions and i also use it with my son and we could talk about that as well but being able to accurately name the emotions and maybe the gradations of that emotion will help you to know how you need to take care of yourself especially when you can when you can become aware and honest about the gradations of emotions as they arise before they get to the most extreme emotions and you can name them name them to yourself and then name them out loud it gives you access to be able to do that next thing which is that emotional regulation because you can begin to regulate yourself early on before you get to that extreme place of emotion if that makes sense and then that allows you that emotional regulation and that emotional literacy allows you to be able to effectively communicate the emotional experience that you're having. And that completes the cycle. Awesome. Yeah. I'm actually thinking of, as you as you were saying all these things, I'm just trying to think in my head, okay, what's an example of this that I can think of on you know a daily basis in my own home, right? And I always think about, so for me, I have a... And of course, we're talking about me as the parent and, and not the kid, but I have this thing with messes, right? Like around my house. And who knows why? I think it's because I grew up in a house where my mom was very tidy. And so for me, a tidy house is like, that's what I want to provide for my children. And when it's not tidy, I'm like, I'm not providing for my children. It's like this weird, you know, who knows <laughs> why I think that. But I think about, okay, if I'm aware that I'm this way, right, that this type of thing, you know, can trigger me and stress me out and causes me to yell, clean up the mess. I can name the emotion and think about it before. If I know my kids are going to be playing in the playroom for the next hour while I'm cooking dinner, I can like talk to myself and say, okay, Lindsay, they're going to make a mess. They're kids. That's what they're supposed to do. This is your home. Your home is made for messes. This is what they're supposed to be doing. And just knowing and being aware of the emotion that that triggers for me and figuring out how I can better deal with it, like knowing it ahead of time, talking myself through it, putting on my new thing is, well, not new thing. I've been doing it for a year or two now. Um, putting on jazz music when my kids are in the house, you know, four kids is a lot and it gets loud in here and I'm an only child. So that's the other thing is noises and messes. <laughs> so I'm always like trying to regulate those emotions for myself. And playing jazz music in the background has always been really helpful for me. And it's funny because my oldest now, when her siblings might be fighting or something, she'll actually go over and she'll put on the jazz music now. Isn't that so? I'm like, oh my gosh, that's kind of something so cool and full circle that I, I see that has kind of been handed down to her where she sees me, okay, like things are starting to get a little crazy in here. I'm going to put on my jazz music and just kind of relax myself and relax you know, the mood of the house. And she does the same thing now. And 
it's just, it's kind of cool to see that kind of come full circle. And, you know, of course it's not always that way. I mean, there's plenty of, you know, chaos in here and and yelling and, you know, what have you, but I do feel like kind of running through all those different elements and figuring out how, you know, how can you be honest about your emotion, naming it in particular and figuring out how you can help regulate that emotion can be really, really helpful. Now, when it comes to children, I know you mentioned the wheel of emotions. Can you talk a little bit more about that? And then also maybe other practical strategies for kids to help them like identify their emotions and help them with that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, and, and what I want to, what I want to share real quick before I go on to that is, you know, that's, it's, it's what you shared is like really wonderful modeling. And I think that one of the things that helps our children to develop that emotional fluency is to see us, you know, doing the work in the process. And I just want to share really quickly how it shows up for me, particularly in the realm of the communicating piece. So what I, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a woman of a certain age called that, that age that, that menopause is happening. And <laughs> for those people who are listening, who know what I'm talking about, what happens is during around that time, the hormones start going a little haywire. It, it impacts the moods. And so I noticed a while back that I was, I was becoming a lot more moody and my, my fuse was, was getting shorter. And so I had to do some work around what I was sharing earlier, like the gradations of emotions. What I mean by that is, you know, and as opposed to going from zero to angry, what is happening in the, in the middle? Right. So what is the thing? So I I did some work with myself where I, I said, okay, I got angry about this thing. And maybe I, I popped off at my son. Maybe I, I you know, I snapped at him or, or or yelled or raised my voice or something. So then I had to be with myself and say, okay, what was happening just before I was angry? It was probably, you know, like a, a gradation above frustration. And then what was happening before that was maybe like irritation. And what was happening before that was maybe like annoyance. And what was happening before that was probably nothing, <laughs> right? I was okay. So like knowing that, knowing that I was, before I was angry, I was very frustrated. Before I was frustrated, I was irritated. Before I was irritated, I was annoyed. And then and then really getting a sense, well, how do each of those feel in my body so that I can feel it arising now I can communicate to my son. Okay, you know, like, okay, I'm getting irritated, son. I'm getting irritated. I'm going to need you to either give me some space or stop what you're doing. You know, he's a, he's an almost nine year old boy, so you got to you got to tell kids like 50 million times to do things. So, <laughs> so you know, I say, okay, I'm getting a little irritated. Okay, I'm getting I'm getting you know I've, I'm annoyed or I'm getting a little irritated. Okay, I'm I'm getting frustrated. Okay, so like I can communicate to him the gradations, and then for myself as I'm communicating them, I can know. Okay, I need to go take care of myself because the next thing that's going to happen is I'm going to be angry, and then what happens after that is going to be probably raising up the voice. So then it's like, all right, I know that. I'm getting to this space. Let me remove myself from the situation or let me communicate this to my son so that he knows, you know, okay, I need to back it off a little bit, right? <laughs> so that is just how it shows up for me and, and how I model that. And so now what Delson will do, my son will, 
when he's getting, he will communicate in that same way. Just like your daughter will put on the jazz music, he will communicate in that same way. Oh, I'm frustrated and I'm cranky, mommy. Or, you know, I'm going to go upstairs and go in my room for a little. I need to calm down. Like that's what he'll communicate. And it's not always that perfect, but like I'm starting to see that development mm. in his fluency. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. I think it's really something else when you start to see your kid doing what you've done. And that might be good or bad because in my case, there's been things where I'm like, oh boy, they definitely got that for me. We got to fix that. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So yeah, we might be saying all these great modeling behaviors, but they're not always, you know? So yeah. This podcast episode is brought to you by Earth Breeze. Did you know that the amount of plastic that is actually recycled is only about 5%? The vast majority of the plastic that people place into their blue recycling bins ends up in landfills and not reused. This is because many of them do not meet the threshold of being recyclable according to certain standards. This is even more of a reason to switch over to Earth Breeze laundry sheets and ditch your large plastic containers of laundry detergent. The laundry sheets will arrive at your doorstep in a small box that looks like a box of dryer sheets. The packaging is lightweight and biodegradable. To give you an idea of how much space you will save in your laundry room, you can fit 720 loads of sheets where you used to fit just one 60-load detergent jug. Each sheet is a liquidless laundry detergent that dissolves 100% in any wash cycle. Just toss the sheet in with your laundry and you're good to go. No mess with the liquid detergent. My favorite part is that it makes it much easier for our kids to do their own laundry now. They can throw in their laundry with a sheet and voila, they're done. I just restocked our laundry sheets and purchased both the scented and unscented. The unscented sheets are great for my daughter's sensitive skin. These sheets are hypoallergenic and dermatologist tested, so you do not need to worry about affecting anyone's skin when you switch over. EarthBreeze is compatible with high-efficiency washers, gray water systems, and septic safe for those of you with a septic system like us. You can set up a flexible subscription that's easily adjustable and can be paused or canceled at any time. I love that we no longer have to buy those large plastic jugs that take up so much space in our laundry room. And this makes it easier with our kids. This is just another way to help our environment, which is so incredibly important right now. Try Earth Breeze risk-free. They will give you a full refund if you are not satisfied with their product. No questions asked. Switch from the old-fashioned goo to something new. Right now, my listeners can subscribe to Earth Breeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y for 40% off. Earthbreeze.com slash Lindsay. This podcast is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is a great place to get some of our grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting it all quickly shipped to our doorstep is a huge time saver for us, and we really enjoy some of the brands they carry, like Kodiak, Go Macro, Primal Kitchen, and their own Thrive Market brand. I just placed an order to restock some of our go-to favorites from Thrive. We've recently been loving the Kodiak muffin mix, and I just restocked our Go Macro bars, Kodiak flapjack cups, and sprouted brown rice cereal, which our kids love. As a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single order. On average, you save over 30% each time. I recently saved $24 on my last order. On top of the savings, Thrive Market has a deals page that changes daily. It gives you cash back on so many brands, and they have a price match guarantee. Thrive Market has over 70 filters on their website and app. You can filter between gluten-free snacks or non-toxic cleaning essentials with the click of a button. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join and they give. Join Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order. 
plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Lindsay, that's L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y. Okay, so yeah, so practical strategies for our kids. Yes. Yes. And, 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 And this is for helping to sort of recognize the emotions, right? Yes. Well, so one of the, the the things that that I think is is commonly taught, and also that I do and recommend, is when you are with your child and you're noticing the emotion, you might notice that they're getting frustrated. You can say things like, and this is to help them to start to recognize what certain things feel in their body. Well, it seems to me like you're feeling a little bit cranky or you're feeling a little bit frustrated. Is that right? And I and I ask the question, is that right or is that the case? Because what I don't want to do is like put words in my son's mouth, put, you know, map on, like project on my experience to my son. So I will will prompt the emotion and then say, Am I am I right? Or is that right? Or am I close? And so he'll either say yes or he'll say no. Right. And then I'll say, well, what are you feeling then? And so that allows, that opens the conversation. Now, sometimes they'll, you know, he'll say, well, I don't really want to talk about it right now. And I say, well, that's just fine. Let me know whenever you're ready to talk about it. But, but generally speaking, the more I use that language, right? Are you, it seems like you're getting frustrated with that task. Do you need any help or is that right? You know, and he says, Oh no, I'm he'll he'll say I'm frustrated, but I'm good, or he'll say I'm frustrated, can you help me? Or it seems like you're cranky right now. And then if he confirms cranky, then we look at well, what's the what's the source of that? Right. I look at well, when's the last time we ate? Are you tired? You know, did something happen at school? Like what's going on? Like what happened? What happened that that you're feeling cranky? And then he'll either say, I don't want to talk about it, or he'll tell me. Right. And I always, I always, I'm not going to say always, I almost always (laughs) honor the, I don't want to talk about it. Right. There are some times where I do, I do say, you know, listen, this is important and it depends on what's going on. But for the most part, I try to honor the, I don't want to talk about it space without any, any drama around it creates a safe space for them to, for him to open up when he's ready. And, and it usually doesn't take that long. You know, I'll say, Oh, you don't have to talk about it until you're ready. And then, you know, maybe five, 10 minutes later, he's like, okay, I'm ready. And then we have a discussion. So that's one of the big tools that I use or big tech, you know, strategies that I use to teach is by helping to name and then asking if that's correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. Now let's say you're, say, say you have a a child and they struggle a lot with maybe it could be outbursts of anger or it could be anxiety or maybe there's something that's been going on at school and they're they're sad a lot. Are there any methods for helping them cope with that at home that you can do with them specifically? Yeah, you know, so there's a couple of things that I do with my son. Now, there is a there is a training that a level of training that I have that I can do some techniques that maybe the the average person can't do and I'll and I'll talk about an easy way to maybe do this at at, at the home. One is it's called anchoring, and that's anchor anchoring 
positive emotion inside of positive experience. And so, and, and you, t- I think you talked a little bit about that with, you know, putting on the music that helps you to calm down. So one of the things that you can do is you can link something that has a historically positive, that gives a historically good feeling to your child, to that, that positive emotion. And when there's perhaps an, an outburst or a meltdown, as we sometimes call them, then you can actually turn that music on and it, and it, tr- it triggers the brain to, to sort of go into that positive state, whether that state's a calm state, whether it's a, you know, a happier state, you know, depending on what the emotion is. So I'll give you an example with my son. There are certain songs that he really likes. And the other thing that he really likes is our podcasts. So if he is feeling down or feeling stressed or feeling a little cranky, and oftentimes he now knows to ask for this, but I will put on one of his favorite podcasts. And what that does is it just gives him, it puts him in a different mood. So that's how I use certain audio anchors. You can use physical anchors. Some kids are very physical and they love that touch, that hug or a holding of the hand. A lot of times your child is having that meltdown and you consistently embrace them or there's a certain type of touch where you rub their back or you know whatever that is that you know will calm them down that anchors that calm state. So those are some some things that you can do to sort of shift the mood in that moment and and then what happens is they will pick up on that. So like Delson will come to me and say Mommy, I just need a hug right now. Or he will say, I need to listen to a podcast right now. Can I listen to a podcast? Or can I go in my room and read my comic books? Right. So we again, a lot of this is around modeling as well. So eventually, as we do these with our children, eventually they pick it up and they begin to do the, do it with ourselves. Sometimes it really is getting to the root and and of of the of the emotion. So if you have these multiple you know, ongoing sort of outbursts of anger, then we have to ask why. We have to ask what is the source of that? And we have to begin to look at how we manage the source of that. I think that's so important. Absolutely. I have four kids and all of them are very different in what they need, right? And we have one child in particular and I'm still trying to figure her out. She's almost eight and and she's my trickiest one. And she has a lot of emotions. And so we've been trying to figure out, okay, we teach her, you know, okay, how are you feeling right now? Like, let's talk more about this. And and what we came up with uh, like a week or two ago, I was so proud of myself for this one because again, this has been almost eight years in the making of trying to help my child because some kids are tougher than others. They are. I, I Trust me, I feel you if that is if that is you and you're listening. And I looked at her and I was like, you know what? I was like, do you want an STH right now? And she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And it kind of like like threw her off guard. Like she was kind of spiraling. And I was like, well, do you want an STH right now? She's like, what's an STH? And I was like, a super tight hug. And she was like, a what? And I was like, a super tight hug, STH. And she was like, oh, yeah, okay. I'll take one of those. <laughs> so now it's so funny. Since we started doing that, now she'll do that like right before she gets on the bus. She'll be like, Mom, STH, STH. And I kid you not, and 
I should knock on something because I feel like it's helped overall with kind of her regulation. It's like she'll jump to that before she goes to that next place that she was going to. But yeah, just kind of like of, of a little, I feel like that's a good example of like a physical anchor where she's able to use that now instead of going to where she was going before. But again, like that wouldn't, I mean, I don't even think like one of my kids won't even use that. If I were to tell her that, she'd be like, eh. You know what I mean? Right. They're just all so different. And I think that's one of the hardest things as a parent is trying to figure out which, what each child needs. You know, it's hard. It really, really is. So you're not alone if that's if that's how you feel. If, if one thing doesn't work for one child and then you, you do have to parent them differently. It, it truly is. And some, sometimes my kids are like, that's not fair that, you know, you're parenting her differently. And I'm like, but you guys are all different people, right? Like, are you all the same or all you all different? You know, you want to be different. And I have to do different things for, for different kids. So yeah, absolutely. And I I think that, I think that's beautiful. What you, this, the S T H I love that. And I, and I may, I may borrow that Lindsay. I may borrow borrow that, that, you know, like because, because I'm sure that'll, that'll catch on with him very quickly. But, you know, I think what sometimes, and this isn't a thing that I, I also do. I think sometimes we need to give our children permission to feel the full, the fullness of their emotion. I, I grew up in a home where feeling emotions was like not a good thing. It was suppressed. So it's like, you know, don't do that or don't, don't feel that way. Or, you, or, you know, you don't need to feel sad or, you know, or, or suck it up or, you know, all, all those things. Right. And, and, and so one of the things that I often say to my son is, well, you can feel, you, it's okay to, you know, it's okay to feel angry or it's okay to feel. And then, you know, especially if, if it's an anger emotion or a cranky emotion, I, I, I often have to follow that with a little bit of a boundary because, you know, sometimes my son is, is turning nine soon. So same age as, as your daughter, your youngest. And so, you know, he's getting at this age where he likes to, to kind of pop off, you know, like he's getting sassy, sassy with the communication. And I, and so I say, well, you know, your crankiness does not necessarily, you can feel cranky, but that doesn't give you permission to talk to me any kind of way, <laughs> you know, but, but you know, when he's sad, it's like, you know, it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to be angry, you know, like feel how you feel like, and feel, feel all of it. As long as, as long as there's no, just like, it's what you do with that. Like we don't, we don't destroy things in the house. We don't uh, put our hands on people. Like we don't do that kind of thing. And Feel your feelings. What do you and what? And then I will often ask Delson, like, okay, what do you need from me? You know, what do you need from me to help you feel better? And so then now he can, you know, he can now tell me. Sometimes he'll be like, I don't know. And I'll say, well, let me know when you know, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, two things I want to say on after what you just said. So the first is I often think too, as parents, we're not doing anything intentionally, right? A lot of the times we have our kids, like we want the best for our kids, right? They come home sad. They come home frustrated. They come home upset. What do we want to do? What's the immediate thing we want to do? We want to fix it, right? Like, I don't want my kid to be sad. I don't want them to be frustrated. And I think that's probably why your immediate knee-jerk reaction is to fix it and be like, oh, you don't have to be sad. Like, and I, and I, you know, and I don't know if that's something that was generational or what have you, but I, I feel that very similarly where I think it's hard for parents to see their kids that way, obviously, you know, and you just want to fix it and you want that emotion to go away. And I think there's been 
you know, a lot of work done in the past, I don't know, however many years where we've tried to switch that into, no, like you are allowed to have this feeling and I need to be able to let you have this feeling and be uncomfortable with you because it's important for you to recognize that feeling and to have that feeling. And it's just as uncomfortable as a parent to have your child feeling those feelings. And I think that's why you try to dismiss them, right? At least it's what I found in my own self where it's like, even my kid getting hurt, I'm like, oh, you're okay. You're okay. You don't have to cry. What it like, and in your head, you're like, oh, that's just me. Like being like, telling myself, no, your kid's okay. And you know what I mean? But you're saying it out loud and your kid's like, oh, I guess I have to dismiss this feeling, you know? So I think oftentimes we do do those things without even really realizing it, you know? The other thing I wanted to say was, oh, so when talking with your kids or honestly, anybody, (laughs) it could be anybody, it could be a friend, a family member. What I found too, and you can let me know what you think. I always say, and I, I heard this somewhere, I can't remember where, but someone has a problem and they come home and they're like, I don't know, mom, like crazy thing happened at school and you know, all this is happening. I always say, okay, do you want me to just listen to your story or do you want me to listen and give you advice? Because I feel like that clears so many things up, um, especially like even with my husband and I. So now he'll tell me, He'll be like, oh, okay, you just wanted me to listen. You don't want me to give you any advice. I'm like, yes, I don't want any advice from you. I just want to vent to you. You know, I don't want anything coming back at me. (laughs) Right, right. Oh, yeah. It's perfect. I I give that tip all the time. I love that you do that. I love, love, love that you do that. (laughs) But again, these are things, like I said, like you learn about these things as you go. Like, I mean... Yeah, it's 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 helpful to know about them, I guess, even before you become a parent, because then you're like, oh, yeah, okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I've had, you know, it's been almost 10 years of being a parent and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's still so hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's so funny. If my son comes comes in the car and he's, and he's telling me something that happened to him at school, the, oftentimes the question I will also ask is, well, how did you feel about that? Or, and if, is there anything that you want to do about that? Like he, he experienced recently at the very beginning of this year, some, some verbal bullying and it was just a one-time thing, but he came home and he, and he came and got in the car and he immediately told me this, this, what this kid said. And I said, okay, so how, how did that, how did that make you feel? You know, what are you going to do about that? And he's like, I don't know. I said, you want, and, and I did, I did ask that question. Well, do you want some advice around it or, you know, are you good? He's like, I'm good. I was like, okay, then. And that was See, it. It's so good. You're like helping him walk through instead of solving it right away. Right. And again, I, I feel like it's just like a something you want to do for your kids, you know, and, but helping them and giving them the tools that they need to recognize a situation and how they feel about a situation and what they would do first before you kind of jump in. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Okay. This question might be a little bit heavy as in maybe too much to talk about. (laughs) I'm going to give it to you anyways. How can technology and screen time affect a child's emotional fluency development? And is there anything that parents can follow and do when it comes to that is such a great question. I I feel like it's opening. I love this question. I love it. (laughs) I think that so there's there's a couple of elements in here. One I believe is the social media element, and I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that 
And and don't let me forget to do that. Okay. <laughs> Social media. See, I got a pen and paper here. I'm yes. really, okay. I, got, yeah. I really want to come back to that one. And particularly because my son is not yet on social media and I don't, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to try to delay it for as long as I possibly can. Uh, <laughs> I'm with you. Right. But I think in terms of screen time, I think that what it can do is it can cause like too much screen time. And, we're, and we're, I'm speaking specifically of like the way that, you know, the, the light from the computer, you know, the, the the emanation of energy and however you might want to call it from the computer affects the brain over time. Right. I think that that can cause irritation and, and, and it can, it can cause like a little bit shorter of an ability to, to regulate. I think that's one thing. I think that we have to be mindful of the programs that our children are watching and that's the other thing, right? And they don't call it television programming for nothing. So we need to be very mindful of the, of the messaging that's happening, that's coming into our living rooms, our playrooms, or through, through our devices. Like if they're watching YouTube or if they're watching whatever show on Netflix, kids show on Netflix, I encourage parents before your child embarks upon a new show to watch it with them and to listen for the look watch and listen for the interactions between the characters because your your kid especially if they're in the first 10 years right there this is the magic 10 where they absorb everything and so you want them to be absorbing messaging or programming that is going to empower the emotional fluency, you know, like when my son was younger, we watched Daniel Tiger and we watched a lot of PBS kids. They have a lot of good messaging. There are some that I don't watch like Caillou is one of them, but there were, there were a lot of really good shows that had messaging around, you know, how do you emotionally regulate? How do you work things out with your friends? How do you create new friendships? So that's one of the things. And even now, I mean, I have a little bit more leeway. I give him a little bit more leeway now, but he he knows if there's another show that he wants to watch, he always comes and asks, can I watch this show? And I said, well, I don't know. Let, what's it about? Let me sit down with you. Let me watch, you know, let me watch it with you one time. Because I have definitely found some shows where the, 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 the sort of undercurrent of the messaging was very very, very bad. So I've, I've, you know, and I'll say you can't watch that show and I'll, and he doesn't, he doesn't question it, but sometimes I feel the need to lock it out anyway. So, (laughs) (laughs) so that's from, from the television and screen time perspective, that's really what I want to say is that, you know, Mm -hmm. the, some of, some of the, sometimes our kids can pick up things from programming, even though, you know, there are people that say, oh, it doesn't influence our children. It does. It does. And Mm -hmm. so does the music, by the way. So music, you know, I I miss, I mean, to be honest with you, I miss the days of Mr. Rogers and Sesame street. (laughs) Right. I gotta be honest. I was listening to a podcast. Oh gosh. I can't remember. It was a couple months ago and it was talking about the history of Mr. Rogers and I believe it was Sesame Street or maybe it was just Sesame Street. Either way, there was so much work that went into the background of that show. I was not familiar with. Like, I mean, they had scientists that they were working with that would tell them like the psychology of what they were going to be programming. Like, how cool. 
Now, does that happen anymore? Of course it doesn't. <laughs> now we just try to get kids to watch TV for longer. So now all yeah. we're trying to do is really amp up their, you know, emotional regulation systems to like be in fight or flight so that they're just watching a show for 15 hours. <laughs> 1,000%. 1,000 Right? Yes. Ah, yeah. And that's the same thing that our, the phones do. I mean, they do it to us. So yeah, it's such a complicated time. And I'm sure our parents said the same thing when TV came about and radio and all of those things. But it's a complicated time to be a parent because it's like, you know, your child needs exposure to all of these things because they're going to need to navigate it, obviously. But it's like how and when and how much and, you know, it's so hard to know what the right thing, I mean, and is there a right thing? Who knows, you know, but I think we all just try to do our best, but it's like, it's so hard, you know, there's just so much of it to navigate. And I know our, our parents were, you know, similar in that they had to navigate TV and all those things. And they probably felt the same way, but my gosh, it's like, you know, how, when, where, you know, do I start these things with, because, because they're going to be using them. So we need to teach them how to use them properly, but it's like, uh, I'm really dreading the time. And and when we talk about emotional fluency, if our kids are not in a place where they're able to navigate their own emotional fluency properly or well, and then they're they're tying in social media, that's like a straight up disaster, right? Because then we're comparing and then we're jealous and then we're this and then and and how do you navigate those feelings if you don't know what they are? Exactly, exactly. And you know, and and they're in that developmental stage in their lives where they are being influenced by their by their social community. And so that in, impacts their their self self-esteem, that impact, you know, like they they haven't developed that sense of self. Like this is the time when they're in their that that stage of development, that socialization stage of development where they're developing their identity. And so when you put social media and just to come back to that into the mix, then not only are we talking about uh, the, the challenge of emotional regulation, we're talking about the challenge of like, what emotion am I even feeling? Like, you know, like there's so many that get the hormones that come into play, you got puberty. And so they're already feeling the swirl of emotions and it's, it's pronounced, it's amplified. And so it feels true. It feels real in that moment. And then you, you pull all of these elements of social media. And then the other piece is the communication piece, you know, the elements of communication that happen on social media that that kids don't necessarily I don't think that we necessarily had to deal with growing up i mean there's there's there was like the face to face bullying but the, there wasn't mm-hmm. all of this other type right. of bullying and things you can't and escape it you, you could escape, escape it before it, right? yeah and so i think too with social media and like with cell phones it shortcuts the communication because there's like emojis and then there's like all these shortcuts and you have like the AI. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of these things. It's just, we learned, we, we got all these things after we had already learned to communicate for the most part. And this is a part of their communication communication. So there's a whole nother element that we need to be making sure that we get into our kids. And that is like the basics of communication, listening, speaking, kindness, all of those things before we start 
pulling in this whole social media emojis and and the using AI. <laughs> I was listening to one of our kid podcasts that we listened to, and and it was it was a really great podcast. Was it? We were listening to I think Brains On, and we were t- and we were talking about friendships, and the question was asked. How when you when you and your friend have a disagreement, how do you make them feel better? Like how do you apologize or how do you make them feel better? And she says, and the young lady says, Well, sometimes I don't know what to say, so I use, you know, AI or chat the 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 chat the AI chat GPT or something of that nature. And I thought that there was there's a part of me that thought, well, I mean, that's one way to do it. because is there is there learning in the process? There can be. It depends on the kid. But on the other hand, does this then hamper the like? Will the kid actually learn, or will they always just go to AI? Right. Like, you know, do their message for them, and is it hey, authentic? How should I be feeling right now? Yeah. How do I? Yeah. Is it authentic, or is it you know? So this is the piece we that's going to be very challenging, especially in this age of this growing age of AI and making sure that we impart upon our kids the actual skills of communication, critical thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, and that emotional fluency piece. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this could be a whole episode in and of itself, of course, but I think that there's no way you can possibly, like AI could possibly teach or, you know, give you examples of how to be empathetic. Empathy is something that I feel like is is an emotion that needs to be learned and taught. Like, I mean, you're not going to get that from AI or the internet in general. And I feel like there is this loss of empathy within certain, with this upcoming generation that's gone through their teenage years with social media, because it's like, how do you learn about that emotion through a phone. You know, Lindsay, I'm going to I'm going to pop in here and say I, I that's on parents. That is yeah. on because we are at a time and, and again, this could be another podcast empathy. <laughs> we are at a time where empathy in our nation is at its very All lowest. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that the kids have a chance. The, the, the generation, this youngest generation, has a chance. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm seeing a rise in empathy in these young kids. But we, as parents, have to teach them empathy. We have to do that, and that's what's happening. It's like we're not there's a there's a lack of it, but it's not it's not because the phones and the AI is replacing. It's because the parents aren't doing their job of modeling it. Do you think do you think it's that in combination with I just I feel like kids are just sucked into the technology so much so that there is just so much less interaction with their parents compared to how it used to be where yes. they're not getting and those interactions. Yes, yes, and and I have to call parents to the carpet on this one. Like again, we are responsible. Like my kid is is about to be nine. Of course, he's going to be sucked to the TV. When I was that age, I was sucked into the TV. But you know, like yesterday, th- so we have a rule in our house, no television Monday through Friday. Starting Friday evening, he can watch television. But Monday through Friday, there's no television. He is very limited on what he can do on the iPad that I let him borrow because it's not his, you know, <laughs> but, we, but we, but I intentionally, like yesterday, you know, I had a, a board meeting in the evening, but I sat down with him 
And I said, okay, let's blow some bubbles. I mean, like just the old school stuff. We went out to the park and threw some Frisbee the couple of weekends ago. And so it's, it's my responsibility as a parent to cultivate activities that are off and to get him to enjoy activities. We go bike riding. If we, before I had a bike, we went just walking in the neighborhood and chatting, you know, it's like, we have to bring that back into the culture of parenting. And so, you know, I know that I have the privilege of having a little bit more flexible schedule and it shouldn't be an excuse for us to be involved in our kids' lives. Mm-hmm. So that's a parenting thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it can be really hard as parents. I think people are feeling stressed for so many different reasons, right? I mean, America in general, not built to sustain families, especially doesn't support moms. And a lot of us feel very much left on our own, raising our children. And, you know, it can be hard. It can be hard. Like if you're working all day and you come home and like, I get it. I get it. But again, yeah. Uh, our responsibility. You know, it's, it's so hard. Um, You know, I think what we undercut a little bit is that our kids can be such a source of joy if we let them be. So I'll tell you when I'm stressed like this, and I learned this during the pandemic, by the way, it wasn't something that was natural to me. Like (laughs) we can see our set, our children as a source of stress, or we can see them as a source of rest, refuge, respite, and joy. And so what I, I've, it's, it's not perfect. I don't do it all the time this way. And I, I, I try to like practice this. When I'm actually stressed, I will stop the action and be like, let's play. And that's the, I think that's part of what it is, is that we, we're, the, the world is doing what the world is doing. We are working hard as parents. You know, I often, you know, work at least two hours after my son goes to bed. So I work all day. I, I, his time is for him. And then I work after he goes to bed. And we forget to play with our kids. And what I found during the pandemic, and now one of the reasons I'm so adamant about it is that that gave me time. It like reconnected me, the, the play in me. Mm, so like yeah, we build yeah. forts together. We, and, and, and it's amazing how when I feel stressed out and I, and I actually remember to stop the action and say, you know what, Delson, come, let's just cuddle and watch a show together or yeah. let's play some, let's play some bowling on the eye on the thing, or let's play some darts you know, or let's, you know, let's go outside and and throw the Frisbee for a minute. Like that helps me Mm -hmm. as much as it helps him. Yeah, no, absolutely. I do feel like, you know, I think when we look back on COVID, I mean, there was so much, you know, negative things associated with it, but I do feel like there were a few really great things that came out from COVID. People kind of reevaluated a lot of different things, right? And yeah, I mean, I can... I can say that I think there's a lot of positive things that came from it just as well as some of the negative, but okay. So uh, we, we could just talk all day. Obviously I have like 50 more questions for you. What are we going to (laughs) do? Part two, part two, part two. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's end with, is there anything from the conversation we had today that you want to add to that you feel like is missing? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's such a loaded question, Lindsay. Oh, um, I'm going to say that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return to my original message, which was we are all works in progress, right? So, you know, there's a, we, we, we gave a lot of tips. We gave a lot of 
I, I, I pull, I, I'm calling in parents to be responsible. You know, there's a lot of examples, but at the end of the day, we have to have self-compassion and we have to understand that we're all works in progress. And if I were to leave you with one message, one, one and a half message, that would be number one, modeling is the best way to teach your kids. That's emotional fluency. That's around play. So I just want to leave parents with, you know, model what it is that you want from from your your kids as much as you possibly can. And that may take a little bit of learning on your part and practicing in other settings on your part. But modeling is the best way. And then just, you know, just as a as a point of like ah, compassion, play. Take some time to play. I know it's stressful out there, y'all. I really, really, really do. And <laughs> we got to insert play back into our lives yeah. as parents with our kids and without. <laughs> yeah. yeah, with and without. Yes, yes, yes. So important. And I had two questions for you that I ask everybody, but that's like the perf- most perfect answer for the first question, which is what advice would you give to mothers? So check done. You did great. And then the next question is, if you can make any meal for your family that you would both eat and would be relatively quick and easy, what would it be? Oh, mac and cheese all the yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. Are you making it from a box? Do you make it from scratch? Like, how do you make yours? I would make that. I would make my five cheese mac and cheese that I usually only pull out for holidays. Mm. My son, my son is definitely my son because he loves macaroni and cheese. And that is one of my favorite meals. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, who doesn't like mac and cheese? I, I don't know. All my kids like mac and cheese. I like <laughs> mac and cheese. It's the best. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Maisha, for joining us today and talking about emotional fluency. And I'm sure that everybody's going to learn a little bit of something from today and hopefully take away that, again, we're all works in progress. And I'll have to have you back for part two because, I mean, we didn't even get to like half of the stuff we wanted to talk about. <laughs> well, I would love it. It was such a fun conversation, such a an impactful conversation. And I, and I really do hope that people take away, you know, something that they can use in their homes and with their families. Uh, it's just, it's a big commitment for me. And thank you so much, Lindsay, for having me on and for giving me a voice in your community. I would love, love, love to do a part two whenever it works for you. Awesome. We'll see you soon. See you soon. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.